Hi, everybody. We are here. We're in the house <laughs> with an orange foamy and a and a red foamy. Is that orange? It is orange. Okay. Good job. <laughs> um, okay, y'all. You, I feel like you'd want to explain the nuance of the color, and I wanted to give you that opportunity. If you oh, didn't see it as orange. Oh, I see. Melon? <laughs> a tangerine. Tangerine. Tangerine, <laughs> I would say, maybe. Um, okay, everybody, it's happened. Our big thing happened. You're listening to an episode that's titled Defense Mechanisms Live? I think so. And then, and then in parentheses, repression and... Denial. Yeah, that sounds yeah, yeah. nice. Defense Mechanisms Live. Okay, so if you... We want to tell you guys about it. Yeah, we, we want to give you a quick intro, and then the rest of this episode is going to be our actual live audio, which includes us talking, and includes the performances that we had, and it will include some audio files of folks who shared about their own experience of defense mechanisms for people who came to the live show. Bam. So... That's what you should expect. But we're going to do a quick intro to let you all know how it went and what it was like for us. The live show should sound like a no small thing episode. I mean, so I've already been listening back and it sounds just like, except just a little bit of different sound quality. You like know, a little echoey like, in the room? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we probably have a different vibe because we were in front of an audience. Like it was a little less casual, I'm guessing. Mm, not much. Really? Not much, which makes me proud, I think. Yay. I think we Yay. kept the chill energy. Yeah, I was... You were, you were a little bit more, like, I wouldn't even say keyed up. Like, you kind of brought, like I said, like, some professional vibes. <laughs> more of a... Um, it's like, here I am in front of the folks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you really gave... I mean, there was a guy that wrote a review of our thing online on Instagram. Remember that? He made a little video of oh, us. Oh, the video. It was such a sweet video. He said Macy gave a presentation that would have made... <laughs> on id super ego and ego that would have made freud proud or something <laughs> i did have some ideas i really wanted to present that was like that that is one of my favorite no small thing vibes and moments when you come out with something hot <laughs> that i don't know anything about and i'm like whoa let me explain something <laughs> yeah. to you here we go um so 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 how was it for you heading into the night a little nervous i was mixed emotions i think it pumped I think very pumped. We got like a really cool opportunity. This wasn't just like, oh, casual live recording. Like we got to work with two of my really good friends and they helped us kind of put what we could visualize into action. So we got to do fun things like bring my artwork. We got to set it up as like a very cozy vibe. We tried to make candles. it look like the living room here. Yeah, we yeah. really tried to create the mood and atmosphere. So that was really fun and really exciting, but I think it being so much what we could have dreamed of made it really nerve wracking. Cause it was like, this is just so perfect in a lot of ways that you want it to go so well. Yeah. Um, you can see the pictures on our Instagram, but like the venue really could not be more ideal. It is an <laughs> ideal venue for something like this. It was, it you was know? really, it's sweet. a really cool venue, the right size. Um, and yeah, we got to make it look exactly how we wanted Mm-hmm. But they they like sold tickets for us. They they provided food for us. We so open, like a bar for yeah. people to get drinks at. Yeah. It was cool. Popcorn on plates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was really interesting because we started it out with having like thirty minutes mm-hmm. of hangout time yeah. for the people in the room because we we wanted it to not just be a oh here we are going up and recording. We wanted it to be like a community thing, community like a gathering thing. Well thing. Said. Um, so that part was fun, I think but it, it was worked. also, I think it worked too. I pictured people there, everybody, there's a, there's the venue space. This is called 415 Union here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then right outside of that, in the same building as a cafe, I pictured people mingling in the cafe beforehand. So that threw oh, me off a little bit. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I thought it would be like more compact and everybody just kind of be milling about. And then we would open the doors when the thing was going to start. Oh, so it's not, I didn't even have that visualized. Yeah. So I think I pictured the doors being open the whole time. Yeah, so right right in the beginning, I said, well, we want to play our playlist music that we had curated a very specific playlist mm-hmm. um, that had our music on it. I wanted it playing in the cafe and the venue, and they were like, it can't be playing in the cafe because that's a different thing. Like, that's our, our regular cafe is going to be happening. And people are, like, like oh. studying or working, yeah. and they can't have... Oh, well. Literally not in any way a deal. I was going to say, not a big deal, not a deal. It's <laughs> not a thing. It's fine. Totally fine. Just not what I pictured. Yeah, that's fascinating. I yeah. think I had pictured it how it went, so that's... Good for me. Yeah, good for you. You win. I could have, I could have, if, if, if it were the case that we're not going to do the cafe, now we're just debriefing <laughs> what we could do differently next time. I would have probably orchestrated that, that opening part a little bit differently, but I might even cut this out. That seems boring. Okay. How was it for you? Um, I was sort of in this state of almost like I could call it like euphoria, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, I, I mean, I think. I think when these things happen, you are also, there's no need to compare who's more euphoric or something like that, but they would just say a different type of euphoria, maybe. Like for me, um, I I don't mind saying, like I go to counseling every Friday. People, some people may know that. And I got to go the next day. And I, I said, like doing something like this, if everybody knows, like I have this sort of career in ministry and I don't, I'm proud of that. At the same time, I come from a family of pastors. So it seemed like the thing I was supposed to do. Yeah, totally. And then living in that world, I always felt a supposed to whenever mm-hmm. I was doing anything and I could make it work and have fun with it. But this just felt so pure me and us and creative and there's no boss. There's no yeah, we anybody just got to do whatever we want. Yes. It was such a fun feeling. <laughs> I, I said to my therapist the next day, it was like, this is a weird thing to describe. I mean, this is all just a, some trying to describe an emotion inside of you. Right. But almost that this is like something 14 or 15 year old Scott would do. Mm-hmm. And I'm just rediscovering it mm-hmm. or, or having a do over to a certain extent. Yeah. And it, you can get shamey and be like, Oh, I can't believe I'm figuring this out as a 40 year old, but that's fine. You know? And, uh, that's kind of even more exciting yeah. as a 40 year old. Yeah. It felt the whole thing felt very new and homemadey and indie. I know. It and had <laughs> a good homemade you know? casual vibe, yeah. but also like honoring to the people who came, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, heading in, talking about it, planning it. We had planning meetings. Everybody going into it, we had a planning meetings with our friends Adrian and Jesse. Got really and, professional about it. Yeah, <laughs> and that was so fun. And um, then actually showing up, Macy and I showed up uh, the day of around three and set up, and that was fun. Then mm-hmm. um, getting ready. This is one of the things I said to you and said to Marissa, my wife, before we, we started was like, if we were like a band, we've yeah. had. It's like, I mean, I added it up. I posted this on our Instagram, like 700 hours of practice. Like we record every week. So yeah, it was really fun to know that that paid off. Like once we started, I was like, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. This is not like some nor- some weird thing. Like, Yeah, I was super nervous until we started. And mm-hmm. then I was like, I'm not nervous anymore. Yeah. Like here we are. We're just doing what we know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think reflecting back, I'm like, we didn't have as long of a conversation. Yeah. Just there are things inevitably we could do because we did a lot of random things. Like we had Reuven give Reuvenations and then we had our friend Oliver Stelfox perform. And I feel like they really added to the mood yeah. and helped create it to be more than just the conversation, but like in an evening. But I do think like 
in terms of our podcasting. Like we didn't get to go quite as deep as we, in researchy as we usually do. But I think maybe for people who aren't always here for a two hour long conversation, this is nice. Yeah. We, we kept it short-ish. Yeah. Y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe that just highlights though, how even personally for me, I still have this lingering insecurity that people aren't here for the long conversation, but right. if they showed up to this event, they probably are. So mm-hmm. we should just lean into it. Yeah. No, I think, I think a few people were like, I was really getting right into repression and denial. Yeah. Like these yeah. were y'all, these get ready. <laughs> Defense mechanism. <laughs> this has been such a crazy topic for us to have chosen, but I think it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. I even feel myself after recording it, having a lot of reflecting thoughts on denial and repression. Cause I talked about repression and then you shared about denial. And I think having the language of denial has helped me to reinterpret some other things in my life. Mm. Look out there for these is. things, everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, cool. I, I like, I like our brand. I think denial, I mean, denial uh, defense mechanism syncs up so well with Enneagram conversation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know. I think it'd be fun if we did a live Enneagram event. Oh, that oh, would be oh, also oh. dreams and super cool. That we would be pumped. Yeah. You know, if we were doing an Enneagram event. I don't even know what we would do, but it would be so Personally, fun. Personally, I could have been my own paranoia, but I, this is, I, you kind of hear me mention this a few times, but there, I think there were some people sitting in the front row who probably didn't know us very well and uh-huh. might have been there just for the cafe. Oh, and when we, at first, when we were standing up and mentioned the Enneagram, I feel like they all like rolled their eyes and like giggled. Oh, there was enough. There was quite a few roller, roller yeah, so eyes at like, Enneagram. It'd be nice just to be like, this is a straight up Enneagram thing. You're here for the Enneagram. We're here for the Enneagram. That's true. <laughs> I kind of liked that energy being in the room. No, that was fine. It didn't throw me or anything, but I was like, oh yeah, the Enneagram. The I know. Enneagram, <laughs> we know. I know it is something that, I don't know. I think I almost would roll my eyes in that situation. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah. Here we go again. It's always the Enneagram. Roll my eyes on myself. (laughs) Yeah, it was so fun. And I think you and I were just saying before we started this little check-in that it it ultimately, I think, took up a lot of space and energy in our minds and hearts because it was Mm -hmm. our first one. But Mm -hmm. ultimately, it actually wasn't that hard to pull off. Yeah, no, I think I getting this first one done kind of yeah. similar to when we started the podcast. If we were to start to somehow find a space that could host us rhythmically, yeah. Yeah. like we could do that and we would love to do that. Yeah. Um, so that would be super sick. It's just cool to have a platform. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's really fun to reflect in the fact that like two years ago myself before we had started the podcast, I would never have even thought it was possible yeah. to be, have like hosted a live podcast yeah. and like, there's so much progress that's been made in two years and it's what, work just two years ago. chugging away yeah. little by little and like putting like a foot in the same direction, I think is, it's been so powerful. And this was just like such a moment for us to be like, wow, we did this. Like, it's kind of like a beacon on mm-hmm. our like little journey. A little beacon. A little beacon. Yeah. I journey. liked how we didn't, we, we just let it be what it is. We weren't, we weren't like, it has to be 300 people or something like that. It just was, it, like I said, I said on our Instagram, like I think it was modest in, in yeah. the best way. It was mm-hmm. just, it just was a nice little gathering. Yeah. What do you, you know? call that hospitality? Scruffy hospitality. Scruffy hospitality. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit like that. It was a little scruffy yeah, yeah. hospitality. Yeah, it was. I mean, we, we took it pretty seriously and we were pretty planned out. Um, but I think we had scruffy elements. Yeah. I think our vibe, like our, an hour before, I mean, that was even one of my other favorite parts, you know, like coming from a, a space where there's 
typically been a lot of anxiety before an event gets executed. B- both of us were just so chill, you know. Despite despite yeah. me thinking I was going to pass out. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> y- y- there was like an internal sense of like, can <laughs> I do this? But there wasn't like any sort of a- like anxiety like coming towards each other i was like macy come on you know like and you weren't doing that to me it was like it was honestly it was like a lot of trust yeah you know yeah it was fun i if there's any encouragement to y'all listening out there it's find a passion project and do it with your pals and (laughs) see where it goes it could go cool places (laughs) and i think i think the we should probably wrap up but one of the last things i thought was sweet about the live event was that I think we had a lot of fun and it felt really fulfilling for us, but I actually do think in a lot of ways it was fulfilling for some people who were there. Yeah. I think hearing back from other folks, they felt the community vibes. They yeah. felt intrigued. I know people were talking to me about defense mechanisms after like it was really fun and special to be a part of something that was seeming like mutual benef- mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. Like we were all there together mm-hmm. and it was important for us, each of us to be there. It was so good. It was special. so fun. So yeah, we hope you guys like this. Mm-hmm. Ho- hopefully Enjoy. you get a little sense of what it was like to be there. And for us, it was so, so, so fun and special. Okay. So here is the live show. Have fun. And round in your head. Flowing. Whoever you think you presently are, thank you. It's far. It's far. All that you read, all that you see, all that you hear, filling up your head, orange-colored liquid. It is nice to relax, isn't it? Put the key in the lock, unlock the door, and a fountain of ears is available. If possible, in our modern world, Listen for your eyes, in your ears. We will continue this pattern until we have reached the infinite everything. Now put on some undergarments and go deeper and deeper and deeper. Hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to No Small Thing. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm, I'm Scott. I'm Macy. <laughs> welcome, everybody. Um, welcome. This is our first live event, y'all. So thank you for being here. This is our intro. Our intros usually take about 20 minutes. Yes. And, and when people talk about our reviews, uh, people say that the intros are too long. You need to make it snappy. You need to make it about 30 seconds. Get in, get out. And we have tried, and then we get lost. And so the intros are usually about 20 minutes. 
We do our best. Um, if you are a listener of No Small Thing, you do know that we are here for meandering conversations and curious conversations. And the point of the conversation is not actually reaching some conclusion, but the point is the conversation itself. So tonight we are Amen. inviting you guys to join us in embarking on that journey of enjoying just the conversation and that being enough. Somebody said in one of our reviews that um, we, they liked the conversation but probably wouldn't listen again because we never landed the plane. Yeah. And that really yeah. <laughs> so triggered it, me a little bit. Was, but yeah. now I'm like, I, I knew when they said that that I didn't want to land the plane and that we're not trying to land the plane. No, so he didn't. It ultimately didn't really rattle me that much, but yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to begin by welcoming you guys and letting you guys know a little bit about what no small thing is about. Um, we are here trying to live a less certain and more curious life. And to both of us, that feels like a mission statement of sorts for not just the podcast, but kind of the way we approach life and the way we approach topics and people and things. And so we just kind of wanted to begin by sharing a little bit of the heart of our podcast, our story. If you're here just because you know Scott or I and you're just supporting us or you're from down the street and you don't even know what the heck you walked into, um, we wanted to give you guys a little bit of a rundown and a little bit of an idea of who we are and what we're about. So we started the podcast and it was based on... Uh, Macy and I were both theology majors at SPU, and so we would often get like locked into a theological or philosophical conversation, and uh, this, this may even happen tonight, but uh, what, what would happen is everybody that was hanging out with us in the moment would listen to the conversation and be sort of interested, like this is sort of a niche, interesting topic that doesn't come up every day. Uh, but they would last about 10 to 15 minutes, and then people would start to trickle away, and Macy and I would just keep talking about this. <laughs> um, so maybe, hopefully that doesn't happen tonight. No. But yeah, people would say that, which I think a lot of people say these types of things these days, uh, just in common conversation, is, oh, you should have a podcast. That comes up a lot. Like, I think people say that to each other a lot out in the world. And to a certain extent, it's like a modern-day version of having a blog, so it's not that crazy. But... Yeah, I think our friend Matthew over here in the yellow fleece. Maddie helped us start it all. So somebody said, yeah. you guys should start a podcast. Yeah, give Maddie a round of applause. <laughs> um, someone said, you guys should start a podcast. And we thought, great idea. Uh, we're probably never going to have that happen. We're not good executors. We're not. If, if anybody here knows the Enneagram, which we're guessing quite a few of y'all do, because we talk about it a ton on this podcast, both Scott and I are what's considered to be doing repressed which means we both get thinking and feeling confused with doing. So the idea of thinking about something and feeling about it feels like doing. And so that's where we usually stop. Um, but Matthew said, no, let's make it happen, and actually made us an email and made us a podcast domain. And without that, I don't think we would have ever done anything. We wouldn't. So, we wouldn't. so Matthew, everybody give it up for Matthew. A big shout out. Also, Forrest, is, this, is it recording? <laughs> okay, good. I just want to make sure. <laughs> Y'all, this is a recording. It wouldn't That's be the end of the world is. if it didn't record. So we did, a, we did our first episode, which was us just bantering about what this could be. But the second episode was, we, we had no vision. It was mostly like, we're just going to see what happens. Um, and so the first episode was, we talked about how to make a good playlist. Yeah. And uh, as we have discovered, that took about two hours of conversation to get that uh, And we still did not finalize how to make the perfect yeah. playlist. No, no, no. It's still a debate. <laughs> But then we, then we did an episode on 21 Pilots, I think. We did an episode on Kanye West. We did our first Enneagram episode. Yeah. And then I do think, like, a, a mission started sort of to emerge. 
a mission. I well, mean, that's the thing we were saying about like curious. Right. So we began actually saying that we wanted to be a less cynical and more curious group of people. But then we realized that cynicism kind of has a really solid place in curiosity and in what we were doing. And we also are kind of cynical folks. But the one thing that we wanted to kind of make our enemy of sorts was this idea of certainty. Um, I think both Scott and I, and I can just speak from my own experience, I find myself often being frustrated when people are trying to claim that something can be certain and that there is one specific way one thing could be. Um, and I remember in college, a professor giving me this example of a way of thinking, and this has kind of influenced so much of what this is about. And there's this idea of not thinking of things in like a boundary set of way of thinking where there's division and there's lines and there's this is what something is and this is what something's not, but rather looking at it from a more circular way of thinking. So you have an idea in the center and people are coming at that idea from all different points and they're moving around that idea and it's kind of fluid and you could be on the opposite end of that idea and yet you're still thinking about it. And so that kind Gold. of... Gold. Visual is what we're going for when we're saying less certain, is this idea is that we all have our different ways that we approach a topic, and if we continue to be curious about it, um, we may find things about that topic or about a person or something that we didn't know before. So. Yeah, um, side note, I mean, this is one of the things that we try to preserve in the podcast, which is not scripted, so we... If we're going to have a conversation, like the, the energy of the podcast is about us having a conversation. And so I can't know what Macy's going to say, otherwise it won't be a conversation. And it's similar to here. We know we're doing an intro, but we don't know what we're about to say. But I actually prefer that. I don't know if it's a modern thing, but I kind of prefer it. I hear people giving a scripted speech, and that's fine, or reading from notes or something like that. But um, I do have some sort of philosophers, leaders that I follow who I know never do that. They just have their material and they stand up and talk and they see what happens. And I remember going to a presentation here at the Seattle School in Seattle and Dan Allender, the founder and president of the school, was giving a talk about marriage with his wife. And it was obvious that they've been training and doing therapy with people for years. So they're true professionals when it comes to talking about marriage uh, and therapy and helping people have resources for that. But it was like a very unscripted conversation sort of like this. But I thought the content was gold. And I remember one of the people afterwards looked at me and said, they were not prepared. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> what, what were they hoping for? A very like prepared, rehearsed speech. Bullet but, points. Yeah, that's not, no. that's not what we're about. That's not our style, and it never will be our style. So well, maybe. we've Don't be certain. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Never. Oh, yeah, but it probably won't be. <laughs> it probably won't be. Can't be certain, though. Um, so we've done a lot of topics, and another thing we want to share is kind of our mood board. So we have done a lot of topics. We do some music topics. We each kind of pick artists that we love. I make us talk about angsty, 21 Pilots. Scott makes us talk about Kanye. Um, <laughs> who currently not as much I'm, recently. Currently I'm down on we're Kanye. Not, we're not, we're not Sometimes on, I'm not, up on Kanye, we're down but I'm on not Kanye annoyed. But we have also really found that a topic or area of study that we love and that we're always ridiculously curious about is kind of, I don't know, a pseudoscience, pseudo-psychology, ego work, this idea of unpacking why it is that we're doing certain things. And I think for both Scott and I, that's a topic that we could talk about for forever. Hence why so much of our podcast is 
the Enneagram, which if y'all don't know what the Enneagram is, I won't try to explain it. But I've already seen some people in the audience like rolling their eyes on yeah, the Enneagram. No, for yeah. sure, for sure. <laughs> it's an archetypal system that helps us to understand who we are. No, it's a way for us to put each other in boxes. Oh, that's, that's right. what I'm doing all day. Just kidding. I'm not, we're not doing that. But that's what people think I'm doing. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, so much of what we found is our passion is this idea of unpacking why it is what we do. And we started doing these episodes on defense mechanisms, I don't know, like a year ago. We did the first one. And I was so giddy from that episode. It was like, oh, we're uncovering something really big. And in doing the research, I feel like I discovered so much about myself and started to gain a new way to interpret the world I was living in. And so that was something that we were like, oh, we're going to keep doing this. And we've, we've done four episodes. We've done four episodes, Two yeah. Two defenses per episode. So eight defenses we've covered. Yeah, exactly. And each of us has kind of already done our primary defense mechanism in terms of our own personal self-growth. So Oh, do you want to say it? Let's say it. Yeah, so I did an episode on introjection, or I taught introjection, and... I don't think most people know what that is. Yeah, y'all, if you don't know what introjection is, it's crazy the things that your brain does. Basically what happens is if I see someone who's experiencing something intensely emotional, my brain, without me even realizing it, will just, like, take that person's experience, emotions, feelings, and, like, swallow it up and then internalize it as if it's coming from within myself. And then I'm like speaking out as if that's my own experience and the way I'm feeling. And that is the experience of someone else. But I've interjected it and made it my own. Um, so that was studying that and realizing that I do that often and that I've done that with my primary caretakers and that's been a part of the, my structure of how I am was very alarming and very, dis not disheartening, but um, uneasy, uh, but it's honestly helped me so much in moving forward with my life and taking steps towards stepping out of it. Um, knowing why we do what we do gives us a way to maybe sometimes not do that or to maybe consciously be aware that it's happening. So it's at least not just happening without us knowing. Introjection. Introjection. Never heard of it until the podcast. I'd never heard of it. I don't know if I had. Yeah. So mine, I think the yeah. first, my number one is intellectualization and it sounds like snobby and weird, but it's not, it's not like, oh, a smart person. It's, it's like it's sort of a mania of having to overthink everything. And so I remember we had Katie, our two friend on the podcast, and we were talking about what we think about when we go to sleep. And she was like literally saying, oh, I think about what I'm going to do tomorrow and who I'm going to see and what I'm going to do. I'm always thinking about death or the meaning of life or... <laughs> Something like that. What's going to happen? Not in like a deep, peaceful, oh, the meaning of life. It's like really anxious, <laughs> overthinking. Um, and then fives in particular are always sort of thinking back on the past. So I'm just like overanalyzing the past. But the way it works as a defense mechanism is, um, I guess this is easing into an intro on defense mechanisms. Um, defense mechanisms are lies that we tell ourselves to avoid discomfort. I've changed it to comfort. In the book, it says pain. Pain, but I think discomfort's a better word. I think anxious feelings yeah. is another way people talk about Uncomfortable it. feelings. Yeah. Feelings we don't want to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. So lies we tell ourselves subconsciously. We're not, we're not intentionally telling ourselves these lies. So um, if something happens to me that's like emotional or overwhelming, my defense, instead of saying, I'm sad right now, 
and just feel that, is I think about what is sadness. And, and then I, this person said this thing to me that was offensive, and I'm like, what does it mean to be offended? Why do we get offended? What and somebody's like telling me something, and I can't... Like, You're just feeling offended. Yeah, and I can't have a direct conversation. I have to talk like all around it, and it really inhibits a lot of my <laughs> daily functioning. So um, that is a def- that's my main defense mechanism. And maybe isolation? Probably. I think that, that's yeah. Another, well, we haven't talked about one? isolation, I don't think. Did oh, we? maybe not. Well, that's yeah. another defense mechanism that fives are pretty. Yeah, do for. isolate. Um, so yeah, so we've talked about all different kinds, and tonight we're going to be talking about kind of like the big ones. We've avoided these probably on purpose um, because they seem really intense and like the ones that are at the core. Um, I will be, just so you guys know the format of how we do these kinds of episodes, is we each kind of teach each other one. So one of us has studied a defense mechanism, and then we show up for the conversation, and we say, I'm going to tell you about it. And we have a conversation. And tonight, I have studied repression, which is like the defense mechanisms that is maybe the foundation for them all. And instead, it comes up in it, pop culture a lot. It does. That's yeah. one where it's like you've heard of it, repression. And then Scott's gonna be talking about denial, which is another one that you we hear about all mm-hmm. the time. Um, but it's I was doing the research, and we'll get to it in the conversation. But it is crazy, just what goes on in our brains and the things that we might be missing and not even realize it because we aren't even thinking about it. This is a teaser. Yeah, this, is, this is just a teaser. Yeah, so like when it comes to curiosity, so you guys, Enneagram 5s, they're like the observer thinker. So okay. they get this reputation. It's very strange because I'm what you would call like a sexual 5 or one-to-one 5, intimate 5, whatever they call it. It's supposed to be the counter type, which is it doesn't present as a, nor- a typical five. So like one of the memes of a five is everybody's always talking about like they don't want to share any personal information, right? But that's not me. I'm fine sharing personal information. And so if a, if a five is out in the world trying to manage their anxiety by knowing as much as they can, that's what they're doing. They're like, they, they feel like before they step out their door, they need to know all the information. And that's true to a certain extent for me, but I think as I've learned about being a sexual five, I'm more thinking and kind of obsessed with before I step out my door in the morning or in order to feel safe in the world, I need to know as much about myself as possible and I need to know about as much as I can of the people that are significant in my life. Yeah. So that's sort of my five mania. But the thing is, is that it can also be turned into a good thing. So I think as we do the podcast, I can take that sort of obsession that I have with like understanding people. Like this is, um, this is the book we keep using as like a reference. Why do I do that? It's like, I saw somebody talk about this book and I was like, that's exactly the question I'm asking. <laughs> Why do I do that? Everything. <laughs> um, so I do think, you know, we talk about uh, music and art and different, um, you know, philosophical, theological concepts and stuff like that. But then the, these defense mechanisms are a real opportunity for us to explore ourselves mm-hmm. and get curious about ourselves. Like, don't take anything that you do or say or any of your behaviors or any of your little uh, ticks and quirks in your relationships for granted. Uh, really stop and pause and wonder and be curious about those things and go deep with them. And you can find out a lot of interesting and probably scary and cringy things about yourself, but ultimately pretty interesting, I think. So. Yeah. So um, tonight, denial? I think an invitation for you all as you you've came, you've made your way to this event, we invite you all to kind of take on for, even if it's just tonight, kind of our motto of living a less certain and more curious life. Um, we encourage you all to take this conversation and let whatever sticks stick with you and be curious about 
what stood out to you and to maybe be curious about your own self, that this conversation maybe would invite you into maybe taking a look at your own self or your own actions and maybe be a little less certain about yourself. That's kind of an encouragement that we would have for you all who have made your way here. I think it's a better way. Like, I mean, if people listen to the podcast, this is a great alternative in my mind, and there's no judgment or roasting or anything like that. But I have never, since I was born, been interested in watching sports. I've tried so much. I've tried over and over and over again. I don't like going to sporting events. I don't like watching at home on TV. I don't like attending a social event where we're watching sports. And I'm like, can we, can we creatively do something different? So I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying this is better, but I'd say I prefer it. I mean, yeah. if you were walking around in a social situation, you said, let's all get together tonight and talk about defense mechanisms. That is a good like, party. Yeah, let's do yeah, it. That's, but that's what we get to do at the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Should <laughs> is that the intro? <laughs> well, I'm wondering, this is, we're getting towards the end, and I'm wondering if I should, if we should briefly explain the function of defense defense mechanisms in the ecosystem? Oh, yeah, sure, go it, for it. I, okay. I, I don't really quite know what that means, but I hope, I'm going to hear it from you. Okay, <laughs> I, I think it might be helpful because defense mechanisms is a word that I think is a buzzword, and it's, again, it's this, like, pop psychology that's happening, and we are participating in that. But I do think that we try to bring some real research and some real ideas to the conversation. Um, and so we've been doing lots of in-depth study, and... Freud is the person who kind of originally brought this idea of defense mechanisms to the table. Freud has lots of ideas and theories and things, and some are great, and some are completely irrelevant today. Um, I think his understanding of the way our brain can function, almost in a triune way, because it's this oh, three-part relationship. There's a picture of the Trinity up here. Um, of what's going on in your brain is super helpful. And so I want to explain that a little bit so that way we can all better understand kind of what is happening with defense mechanisms and the way it's working in. No, see, this is why it's so good that we life. do this together. I had my one little handy definition already. That's all I contributed. <laughs> I don't know anymore. So this is really good. Okay, so I shall explain. There's three parts of, according to Freud, there's three kind of parts to your brain. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. There is your ego, there is your id, and there is your superego. And according to Freud, your id is kind of like your impulses. In Freud's language, it has kind of a negative connotation, which I would push back on, but it's your instincts, it's your sexual desires, it's your wants, it's your needs. It's that, like, urge within you. Like drives. This, we call it like your drives. drives. Yeah, yeah, your drives is a great word for it. So you've got that, and then you have your superego, which is kind of like your conscious. This is the part of you that is telling you what the standards are, what's right and wrong. It's a little bit like your moral system in your brain. And then you have your ego, which is considered to be kind of a mediator, both between your id and your superego, as well as the mediator between you and the world. Um, and so those three are kind of all playing a function. And defense mechanisms kind of help to alleviate that gap between your superego and your id when you're participating in the world. I will now try and give an example. Oh, we should also just say, defense mechanisms actually are really good for us. They keep us functioning and safe. It's not necessarily bad. They do. But and they I, can... 
get in the way. They can get in the way, and there's different levels of defense mechanisms that people would say. So there's mature defense mechanisms, neurotic defense mechanisms, and immature defense mechanisms. And some mature ones are actually pretty awesome and really help you to function in the world and help to mediate that id and superego and your ego in the world. Um, okay. I'm gonna try and give an example. And when I first heard this example, it like made everything click into place for me. So I figured I would share that with y'all. So this is the way that it functions and the way defense mechanisms functions. So imagine that you are a kid and you're a teenager and your parents are divorced and you have a step parent and your stepmom is super hot and your id goes, I am into her. And then your superego is like, oh, you cannot be into this person. That's immoral. That's your stepmom. It's totally not okay. And your superego is like, uh-uh at all. And your ego is going, well, in this world, it's telling me that I cannot be into my stepmom. The world is giving me those messages that I can't do that. It's not acceptable. And so what happens is a defense mechanism comes into the rescue and it goes, <laughs> I'm going to help you guys figure this out. I'm going to put the id at ease and we're going to make it work for the ego. So a defense mechanism, the example I will give is reaction formation because it oh, works right, right. here, is a defense mechanism comes in and reaction formation is the one I'll use, represses the id's needs, so it denies what the id is saying, and it functions to say, whatever that desire is, actually, you are going to live out the opposite of that. And so that's kind of, quote unquote, satisfies your id, although it's an underlying feeling that just never gets addressed. And your ego, without even realizing it, starts to deny your id and reacts and forms a new way to participate in the world. So when somebody, like a friend goes, oh, look at your stepmom, she's pretty hot, right? You would go, oh no, not at all, I hate her, blah, blah, blah. And you would go off about her without even realizing that internally you may actually be thinking, yeah, totally. But that's been denied and you formed a new way to see in Yeesh. order to then function we're and be okay with stuff. it. And we're all doing yeah. this without even Don't pretend realizing. you're not doing it. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of an example of how a defense mechanism just shows up in a situation and how it's kind of helping to mediate that. And so that way you can then move on and live your life and not be having feelings for your stepmom. <laughs> ah, that was good that was and a, really an cringy. But we do the, the cringy examples. Leaning right on in. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, that's good. a little bit on defense mechanisms to open us. We're going to talk about repression and denial. I yep. think that's our intro. I think Do you have that's anything our more intro. to say? Um, we're going to have some poetry. We're going to have a rumination. We're going to have a performance from Oliver Stelfox. So we invite you all to yeah, sit, this sit is, back and enjoy. Our friend Reuven um, reads poetry during our podcast. So we're going to keep that energy going. So Reuven uh, is going to come up and read some poems right here. In just a quick second. And as he's doing that, Oliver is going to come set up to play some music over here. And so during the podcast, we take like a little musical break just to give the listener a, a break in terms of all the thinking that we have to do when we're doing this. So now you get to take a little break. Then we're going to hear about repression. Mm -hmm. Then we'll do another set of songs. And then we'll hear about denial. And then we'll be done. We can all yep. go home. So we're going to invite Reuven to come on up now. Give it up for Reuven, everybody. <laughs> Hi everyone, it's 
good to know that the podcast is real. <laughs> it's real. Uh, I usually would just think that Scott is just doing this for himself. Uh, <laughs> uh, which I don't mind. I like going to bed while they're still recording. Um, So I'll be reading a series of uh, poems from this uh, cycle of poems called Boris by the Sea by this poet named Madve Yankelevich. Uh, I read it, I read some many episodes ago. I don't know. Full disclosure, I don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh, and Macy and Scott and other people People really like them, so they asked me if I could bring Boris back. So here is Boris. Boris was thirsty, so he watered his plants. When the plant died from being overwatered, Boris was still thirsty. Boris had no more plants to water, so he watered the sand that was left. The water sat in the sand and went nowhere. Boris was still thirsty. Boris went outside and watered the sea while no one was looking. The sea waved and nodded and waved again. But Boris was even thirstier and the sea was no different for it. Boris had no water left. He rolled in the sand and became dirty. I wanted to write about guts and intestines and other human innards. But then I found out that someone had already written about that. Then I got an idea to write about mystical letters, about the Aleph, about the letter I, about a man made of clay, and about a man hanging upside down. And then I remembered that had also been written, written about and then I decided to write about something so very far away from all of this. But either it didn't work out or I had a strange feeling that that had also already been written about. And even that there was quite a lot written on that subject. Seized by a fleeting moment, I began writing about what I had planned to write about, but which had already been written about but it seems others have already written about that too. Only I haven't written about that yet, about that which I myself had not written about for this or that reason. But these lists became nothing more than mere enumeration of that which was not mine. The already written, already thought of, the has been done of others. Soon, I will come to the understanding that language, when you are writing it, tends to choose its own subject, its own about what. What is being written about, what the words refer to. 
I would crave for wider strokes. The thirst for writing will be quenched, albeit by bloodshed. And then it begins. I write about everything at once. And language will forget about its definitions and cease clarifying for the reader what exactly the author wrote about and thought about, what he will write and what he will think. And maybe the author will not think. Perhaps he won't think at all. And perhaps he will not write either, not at all. Back to Boris. The clouds pass over thick with oil. Boris wasn't sure he should go outside. It became dark. The thunder struck his eardrums. Boris thought that he had died, but actually he was just someone else. Another Boris in another room by another sea. How many of us are there, thought Boris. And the one I once was, where is he now? Also replaced by another Boris. Boris tried to remember the words to something, but his mind was tired. He opened the door once more and looked up. The sky's gray belly hung big and low. Along the shoreline, Boris could see the smeared lines of forest and beach where the rain had already started falling. The sun shone through the crevices between the clouds, peeking at Boris. He leaned out of the doorway and looked down the row of beachfront houses. In the doorway of the neighboring bungalow, he saw the balding pate of a fellow vacationer. He too was leaning out to see what he what was doing further down where another such man peered cautiously at the doorway to see what was with the weather. Boris felt a pain and an itch and then a general discomfort and then thirst. He waited for the rain to come closer. He sat and waited. None came. The clouds were thick with water, greedy clouds. Give it to me. He wanted to say, but he couldn't remember the words. He wanted to be polite about it. The dry season appeared rapping on his window with a fist full of sand. Someday, he thought, I will die of this thirst. And then what?
Talk, talk amongst yourselves for just like five seconds, maybe 10, maybe even more than that. I'll just say something while Oliver's doing that. Um, so like all this artwork behind us is Macy's artwork that is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is in the house where we record, and so we're trying to recreate the environment where we record in, which is usually a very cozy environment with candles and a lamp. My and, lamp. <laughs> and as you can tell, like, we try to create just an environment that's very calm and chill. We're not rushing off to go anywhere, which I think is sort of refreshing. <laughs> um, and we can listen to long, awkward Boris poems, which we love. <laughs> um, so, yeah, hopefully you feel that. We did have, I don't know if you noticed, but we have a space in the back where there's some rugs. We said we wanted Compline vibes back there. Like, if you want to go lay down, <laughs> that's totally acceptable. Yeah, pillows, things yeah. like that. All right. Was that good, Oliver? Okay. Thank you. 
mind fleet, I drown. To press the words from gasping out, who knows what's to happen now? Fleeing the scene from a crime where all it needs interrogate until we come to agree. Tension building, I want to remedy the torture. Relieve to lead the anguish in the pasture. Laughter is the best medicine. I use it to cure the state I'm in, but I will not deny my. Uh, hey, um, my name is Julian. I don't know if I'm supposed to say my name, but uh, there it is. Uh, as far as defense mechanisms go, I think my biggest problem, my biggest uh, defense mechanism is intellectualization. And uh, I mostly manifest that in kind of like a 
hmm. persona of intellectualism and a sort of stoicism that comes with that. And the biggest impact of that is having an issue with managing my uh, feelings, trying to intellectualize my feelings and rationalize my, my way through uh, emotional problems. Um, and No Small Thing has definitely helped me recognize that and move through it a bit by uh, talking about it. I related a lot with what Scott was saying. So, thanks for that. Hello, my name is Steph and I am a three. Um, a lot of my success, I usually base my worth on my success and the things that I accomplish. And what I'm currently going through right now is just um, trying to realize that um, my worth is not based on my accomplishments and um, how much I inspire people, but that um, I'm worthy and I'm inspirational regardless of whether or not I'm trying to do so. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what's going on. This is a great event. Thank you so much. All right, y'all. Right, now I'm going to get right back into defense mechanisms. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're yeah, now at we're the sitting table. And we're like, yeah, now we're having the real conversation. We're pretending we're in my living room and <laughs> we're recording the podcast. And I am here to teach you, explain to you repression. Um, Before I, we hear about repression, how are you doing, by the way? I'm doing good. I was really nervous. I had a big fear before this thing started. I was going to pass out. And <laughs> once we were up here and standing, I did not feel that. But about two hours ago, I was like, that's going to happen. I predicted that. So, glad it didn't happen. Um, I think once people start coming in and we saw everybody, it made it a lot better. I think so, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, medium public speaker, I would say. I would medium? Medium. Like, I'm okay with it. Not super oh, crazy fear, but, you know, enough. enough. And it's also, I think, this whole thing is so much something we've dreamed of, so it feels more precious. Oh, yeah. things don't go well. Well said. Feels um, precious. Yeah. Okay. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> I was also nervous. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, it should be noted that almost every time during those musical interludes when uh, the podcast is happening, Scott and I are having a weird emotional check-in, <laughs> making sure everything's going well with us. Um, often, I would say. Okay, here we go. Repression. Here it is. I'm pumped. I'm going to begin with a quote. This is from a book I got at the library called Vital Lies, Simple Truths. And this whole book is about basically how much we're always lying to ourselves. And that's cool. So <laughs> this quote comes from, uh, I cannot pronounce this very well, Fyodor Do oh, Dostoevsky. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. Fyodor. Theodor? Fyodor. Oh, Fyodor. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Okay, so this quote I read, and I was like, nice. This is a great way to immediately kind of capture what's happening with repression. Um, Every human has reminiscence, which they would not tell to everyone, but only to their friends. They have other matters in their mind, which they would not reveal even to their friends, but only to themselves, and that in secret. But there are other things which a person is afraid to even tell themselves, and every decent human has a number of such things stored away in their mind. Woo. Dang. So we have things that we He didn't really... even know about Freud, I don't think. So he just <laughs> yeah, figured that out before, himself. Before that time. Yeah. Um, so repression is kind of like 
I would say, the queen of defense mechanisms mm. in a way. Um, Is denial the king? <laughs> Gendered <don't> rulers? <laughs> that <laughs> That's what we're talking about tonight. <laughs> um, okay, so repression. When Freud was originally talking about it, defense mechanisms and repression were kind of like interchangeable words. Um, they are often seen as almost all defense mechanisms. As I was studying, like all defense mechanisms just have an underlying understanding of this idea that repression is also always happening. Mm. So you have repression as a, like as a defense mechanism that's just simply repression. And then you also have repression, which often happens alongside kind of other defense mechanisms. So what is happening with repression is basically you are experiencing something, whether that's from within or from outside. So it could be your internal desires or your internal instincts, or it could be something you're experiencing on the outside that causes too much anxiety or pain. And so we can't handle it. And so with not being able to handle it, our ego just acts in a way where it says, all right, well then let's just forget about it. Let's just say that never happened and let's <laughs> Say, mm-mm, didn't happen. We're not going to remember it. Oh, it's so strange. We can, yeah, like deceiving ourselves. Always yeah. deceiving ourselves. And the thing that I think is the most frustrating about this one is that while you are deceiving yourself and saying something didn't happen, at the same time, you're also repressing the fact that you're repressing. Ooh. So it's kind of like this two-edged... No, 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 no. Yeah, get that out of here. It's <laughs> annoying. <laughs> You don't even know. This one, mm. as I was studying, I was like, well, cool. Like, I've learned this, yeah. but how am I ever to grow double out of deception. this? It's double deception because it's this idea that you're saying, I don't, I don't want this, so I'm going to forget that this ever happened. And then also your brain is thinking, well, we can't handle that we pretended Forgot. that this thing didn't happen. <laughs> so we have to also forget about the fact that we did that ego function. And this is all happening in our subconscious, like all the time. Um, and so this shows up in like a myriad of ways. I, I think most often people, at least when I had first heard of repression, at first was kind of described as mostly we repress like traumatic experiences, which I think is really a part of it, a large aspect of it. So my kind of understanding of it before doing research was like, oh, like if you've been abused or you experienced some trauma, especially in something like early childhood, your self in order to cope with that just represses that entire situation, which I do think in a lot of ways, as we were talking about earlier, Sometimes it's actually like kind of a healthy thing or mm -hmm. kind of it's helpful. It a helps helpful you function. thing. It helps you get along with your day. So yeah, so if you have experienced some extreme trauma, it's sometimes maybe better for you if you don't like know that that happened or experience it. But it can be really tricky because it did happen to you mm -hmm. and it doesn't just go away even though you may think it does. It often shows up in like, a ton of different aspects, but those showing up don't always, because you've repressed it and then because you've repressed repressing it, you don't even realize why these random things are happening. Um, I read an example of this person who like had, had all these fights with their husband because they kept accidentally 
dropping things and breaking things. Mm. And it turned out that, like, in their, like, therapy with their psychoanalyst or whatever, the person talking with them, that this person had this, like, underlying repressed experience of their grown-up when they were a kid being, like, you can't break things and, like, having this extreme harsh way of understanding their, like, handling of things. And so it wasn't until going to psycho, like, going to therapy and discussing it that this person was able to be, like, oh, I'm not actually just accidentally breaking things, that there's something else that's happening that's causing me to always break these things when I'm walking uh, around. That's, that's the crazy thing. It's so thing. weird, but this it, was it's, causing, it's like, weird. huge fights in this family or whatever. Your subconscious is dropping it. Your subconscious you know, not you. is dropping it. Exactly. You, you, you don't even realize you're doing it. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I had something else to explain. Have you seen the iceberg with the subconscious, preconscious, and conscious? No, no, I, I've seen the Enneagram iceberg that we posted. <laughs> That's true. Those are cool. <laughs> I only speak in Enneagram, so you can't... I don't know anything about anything else than any other topics. Okay, so Just I kidding. will try and visualize the iceberg. So I'm picturing an iceberg. Imagine... Should, I, should we all close our eyes? You could. You could close your eyes. I could invite... Mm. You could do that. So Freud talked about this, of your brain as having three different levels of experiencing things. There's your subconscious, Dang, there's your pre-conscious, the Freud, and then there's your conscious. And your subconscious is pretty much all the repressed stuff. And it is like an iceberg. You see this small bit on top, and then there's all of this stuff underneath that mm -hmm. is considered to be in your subconscious. And it's not even seen, and you don't even realize it's there, but it's underlying all of that. And then in the, like, murky water above, just below the surface oh. of the iceberg, where you can, like, kind of see things, is considered to be your pre-conscious, which is, like, things that you could recall upon memory, but they're not just, like, consciously right there in front right. of you. And then there's your conscious, which is that part that's sticking out above the iceberg. So... If you think of an iceberg, the whole thing about it is that only a tiny bit is showing on top, and there's all of this stuff underneath that's happening, and that's kind of what's happening with all of us. It's like, that, it's like that little, like underneath the surface of the iceberg, there's this really angry, rebellious child that wants to break everything because they were told that they couldn't. Exactly. And they're the ones breaking it, but this person on and the surface is like, to break I don't it. know why I did that. Why did I do that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, why did I do that? <laughs> why did I, exactly. So there's all of these things that are out of our awareness, and we're not even aware that they're out of our awareness, and yet they're playing large roles in our actions mm. every day. Um, so that's kind of the that's main... That's not repression. That's just defense mechanisms. No, that's repression. Oh, that's repression. So that's, oh, that's it's, it's down repression. there. But most, like, pretty much everything on your subconscious level is functioning as part of repression. So, like... Honestly, take every defense mechanism. Oh, they're all, that's before, why you say queen. Yeah, they're all kind of wrapped up in Before you can it. have another defense mechanism, you're pretty much always going to have repression. So mm. since I've already briefly explained reaction formation, I can, I'll add this in as an example. So <laughs> reaction formation is this We're defense. also familiar with these things now. Yeah. Like, and now we're just like, reaction formation, like, splitting, I know this blah, one. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> reaction formation is this defense mechanism that functions where it represses you're it. It represses what you're feeling. And then instead of just leaving it there, it adds another layer to say, oh, I'm going to do something else to kind of like transform that feeling. It's so almost like to mask it or something. It's almost like to mask yeah. it. It's like 
again, this feeling like, oh, I had this desire. I can't have that. I can't have that. So reaction formation says, okay, uh, don't think about that desire, and then we'll replace it with something else. That's what's happening with reaction formation or other defense mechanisms, but sometimes it's just repression, mm. which I think is almost more frustrating and harder to, I don't know, like, grow through. Because with something like reaction formation or interjection, you see yourself functioning and you see it kind of happening and it feels more active as where repression feels sneakily active and it's so underground that it's like, how do you even notice that it's happening? Um, how, which how, how? I, which I was like, how do you do that? And almost every book is like, well, what do you do? <laughs> um, and they're like, very little, <laughs> which is really annoying. Go to counseling. Um, go, to, go to counseling, although this morning I read an article that was talking about how uh -oh, uh -oh. there. Don't say it. <laughs> We're going to get depressed. I know. I know this one. This was a little depressing. Um, there is a lot of studies to show that people are pretty susceptible to, especially in maybe a psychoanalytic setting, they're susceptible to coming up with false stories in order to put those things together. And that sometimes people can be like, oh, I experienced this thing, it's a repressed memory. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't, mm. and it's really hard to discern. It's not like it's cut and dry. So you're just like floating. I don't know. My, my, <laughs> my understanding, again, uh, something we have to say about this podcast is not, we're not professionals. We say that <laughs> yeah, we are not. not all, no I therapeutic training. I've read some books. <laughs> And it's like obvious. we're sharing what we read in some interesting books. Um, but you really have to sort of get caught off guard. Mm -hmm. Like something has to catch you unawares. Something has to be said that rearranges the whole wiring. And that is hard to come by. Especially if we're not open to it. Yeah, I think so. I think... Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if we're not open to it. Yeah, I remember actually like eight months ago... 10 months ago, I don't know, you once called me up after going to some lecture about, I think, repression. And you were like, are you repressed in this area? Are you repressed in this area? And I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe. And it, like, really got me, but it was... I was in Ireland learning about repression from a psychoanalysis. Yeah. A psychoanalyst. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> don't say it. Um, which is another oh, thing... Oh, maybe that's the thing. Is like friends, close friends in a healthy, safe environment can say some things to us that cause us to reflect. Yeah, and I mean, it was Maybe. really helpful. It was really yeah. helpful. And I don't know how much this is repression, and I think it is a lot repression. Um, but... We'll see. We'll let the audience be the judge. Is it repression? <laughs> All right, I'll, let, I'll, I'll go there. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to go there. <laughs> audience, it may or may not be known, I'm pretty gay, and <laughs> that is real. And thank you. And, uh, Your cheer squad is over there oh, I celebrating you. I actively repressed that for a long <laughs> time. A long time. Um, and I, that's something that happens. Um, these desires and feelings were both by the superego and the ego not cool in the world I grew up in. Mm. And so my little old id was like, mm-mm, pushed to the side. And starting doing these defense mechanisms and started having these conversations, I was like, okay, Macy, like, I think you're going to have to, like, touch on this one and get going and think about it because I could sense that there was an immediate um, 
like intense reaction when I gave myself the room to think of, is there some repressed thing going on here? Um, oh. Which, again, in my research, showed me today that, or this past week, that when something is kind of deeply repressed or something that's been really kept hidden, often a, psych or a therapist or an analyst or someone will notice that when you bring it up, that that sparks something big in that person and that um, there's large reactions to it. And sometimes... Oh, I hear they're not even paying attention to your words sometimes. They're just paying attention to like your body language. Exactly. Like yeah. there's these these big reactions, and I noticed that in myself as I started to kind of talk about, like, oh, do I have, like, some repressed sexuality? And it's <laughs> it's real. I did. And, um, I mean, there's so many things. Getting real are, with the audience. Good <laughs> job. To get real. Well, I mean, that's, like, a prime example mm -hmm. um, where because of the world we live in and the situations we're given, repression served me for a bit of time, um, but then it's there's a point where it's not serving me. Um, you pretended I, to have crushes on unattainable boys. I did. I did school. do that in order to not have people ask me. And I remember <laughs> I would be very confident in, like, preaching a celibate life. And that, to me, when I reflect back on, it's because of celibate life because I'm gay. Um, but... <laughs> That, to me, as I reflect back on it, I can see so much reaction formation happening, which is now, I guess, the example of the Towards night. yourself. Yeah, we're not Towards even talking myself. about repression. We're talking about reaction formation. But it would be this idea where I would deny my own thing and then, like, plead some big thing that's against my own desire. I'd be, like, fighting against myself. Mm -hmm. And I look back at high school Macy, and I'm like, oh, Macy, like, why'd you do that to yourself? <laughs> like, you, put, you didn't have to. You yeah, could just no. be. Um, but I think that having these kinds of conversations gives us space to continue to be curious about ourselves. Um, I think if there's anything I learned in studying repression, it's this kind of idea that maybe we can pay attention to those smaller things and give ourselves space to wonder, is there maybe a web that's connecting to some other deeper desire? And then I think have like studying it and thinking about repression gives us a chance to kind of try and be real with ourselves and mm -hmm. try and like allow your brain to go to that space where you're being honest with yourself. Um, so yeah, those are some thoughts on repression. Do you have any questions or? Well, I mean, my, my question as you were talking was gonna be to have a personal example and you did it. So yeah, yeah, I did answer it. my question. <laughs> but I, one response is like to continue to think about these, like when we, when we, we I, no small thing, interviewed Peter Rollins. You know, he was saying um, kind of this idea that these, uh, he would call them symptoms, these things that flare up in our lives. Mm -hmm. It could be a physical symptom like a bad back uh, or any, any sort of physical strange symptom that's actually um, flaring up because of something that you've repressed. Right. You know? Like, um, a, like a Freudian slip would yeah, be an example right. of that. Yeah, so that's the like verbal version of that. Yeah. Um, but as you're talking, I think the thing that I probably, my big takeaway so far is that it's the queen of defense mechanisms. It's the queen. That's all. It's like it's the Enneagram the nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels, it's the foundation point. Mm -hmm. It's, and that's why as people study defense mechanisms in the beginning, the language around them was repression and defense mechanisms were almost interchangeable in terms mm. of their usage because they kind of. Again, it's always functioning in a defense mechanism. Okay, I have a few more things to teach about it. Are oh. you ready? All right, well, you have um, 
Four minutes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm not being rude to Macy. I'm, I'm, it's my task to keep us on time. I know. Normally, we'd have like Because essentially, we have 25 minutes left of the podcast. Okay. Usually, so. we are very luxurious with our time. We're like, we've got all the time in the world. <laughs> we'll take forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, then, oof, let me talk a little bit about suppression. Mm. So, we've got repression, mm. and then we've got suppression. And repression is considered to be, I think, a neurotic defense mechanism. So it's kind of like a medium level one. And suppression is considered to be a mature defense mechanism, mm. which means it's maybe sometimes cool and maybe sometimes actually really helpful. Like sublimation was a mature defense mechanism. Exactly. Yeah. Which sublimation is when you take your big instincts and feelings and you kind of put them into something fun like helpful and good like for Like if society. you're angry, you punch a punching bag. Yeah, or if you're angry, you take that anger and use it to fight for justice for Or people. make art or something. Yep, yeah, exactly. Um, so suppression is kind of like a brother or a brister to uh, mm, brister. repression, a brister. Nice. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's kind of like repression in that you're doing a very similar thing of forgetting that something happened, except it's a little bit on a conscious level. Mm. So you could have experienced something and you think, okay, this crazy thing went down last night, but I have a test in two days and like there's no way that I could do well on this test if I let myself think about that crazy thing that happened last night. So I'm going to consciously forget that that happened and then I'll come back to it later. So suppression is almost like, it does a similar thing in that you do for a moment or for a season or for a bit, actually kind of forget that thing that happened. You put it out of your awareness, mm. but you're not, it's not out of your awareness. And then the fact that it's being out of your awareness is out of your awareness. You're aware it's out of your awareness. It's like medium repression. It's medium, exactly. Medium and, repression. And it works sometimes and it's helpful sometimes. And if you can manage it right, it's actually good because there are times when you can't be oh. sitting, dwelling, thinking on this traumatic thing that happened, and you do have to engage with the world right now. Oh, it almost seems like a nice little explanation sometimes. If somebody's like accusing you of being like repressing something, you go, "No, it's suppression." No, it's I actually suppression. I, I will I, one day deal with yeah. this. <laughs> Which I think is that, that I think that's another thing is that <laughs> if you suppress something to the point that you then repress it, then that might be an issue. But wow. I do think like a healthy ego, healthy ego quote-unquote, could it? function, suppre suppression functions in helping you to mediate your it, instincts, desires, all those things in the world, and it be maybe helpful. All so right. that's a little bit on suppression. <laughs> do you have another one you want to do? <laughs> well... <laughs> Sometimes... Uh, okay, so we're pretty sure Macy's a what we call a balanced four. <laughs> so don't don't think of four wing five or four wing three, but you can yeah. access both of those wings pretty easily. And I do think you go get your. It's isn't it interesting. I get crazy it's a, research. It's a, mode. it's a crazy mix up of a five wing and a three wing because you're researching, but you're also wanting so to achieve in successful. your research. Yeah, I yeah. know. I do want to be the best at research. <laughs> You're beating me at research tonight. <laughs> um, okay, my last thing, just because we've talked a little bit about it, I just feel like I got to get a little nod to the Enneagram oh, yeah. when we're talking about this. So if anybody out there is an Enneagram 2, take a look at yourself. Enneagram 2s, repression is considered to be kind of your Ooh, core the main. ego mm. defense. Oh, that, that, that makes me want to say something about Enneagram during mine. 
Okay. Okay, go ahead. So now I did a little bit of studying about repression and then studying about repression particularly in the Enneagram 2 archetype. Okay. And I think it functions a little bit differently in the archetype. Why would you be particularly interested in twos? (laughs) (laughs) Just them. So uh, repression in the Enneagram 2 is less about this idea of these big drives, instincts, desires, things, and it's more a repression of their own needs. So if people know an Enneagram 2's main ego fixation is on this need to be needed, and there's often a lot of self-worth, self-identity found in their relationship to other people and how they are seen by other people, as well as the fact that they they see themselves as being needed by other people. That's like a core motivation for Enneagram 2s. And so what part of what builds this archetype is this continual repression of one's own needs. So a 2 is kind of constantly um, denying their own needs, but then also putting that fact that they've denied their own needs out of their awareness. And that only bubbles up in kind of passive-aggressive ways sometimes Mm. or in, like, big blow-ups because so much of their everyday is this constant repressing and repressing and repressing so that way they don't have to experience themselves as having needs, even though we all do have needs that, to a two, may often feel very, like, oh, don't tell me I have needs. Um, And so what they do with that is they then repress their own needs and only look externally and don't see those needs within themselves. Uh Uh-oh, twos. We're all... (laughs) Everybody, no one's off the hook, let me tell you. No No one's one's off off the hook. hook. I mean, I will say, pitch for the Enneagram. It it does help us get at these things, I think. It names it so we can get to it a little quicker, Mm -hmm. hopefully. I think we're going to invite our friends up again. Yep, I think so. Uh, that is repression. Give it up for repression, everybody. <laughs> Let's clap. <laughs> give it a big round of applause. <laughs> All right, repression. Oh, Woo. gosh. All, All right. right. We're uh, going to invite Ruben up come up. Um, as Ruben is coming up, uh, come, go, come on up, Ruben. Um, Ruben is sporting a sweatshirt with the image of a cat. And the collar that we see is actually attached to the sweatshirt, which makes me like it even better. Okay, Ruben, thank you. Full disclosure, I live with Macy. So this is like what I, you have to pay $5 for this. This is what I sleep to. <laughs> I, I'm suppo- I, am I a four? Is that what we agree on? Wait, we're not going to put you in a box, but we, okay. th- we think maybe. I like to make outrageously wrong statements about the Enneagram, <laughs> just to kind of mess. <laughs> I think one time, didn't I ask you, isn't a four also supposed to be an eight? And you're like, no. But I'm like, I'll say it. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, some more Boris. The metaphysics of a Boris by the sea. Boris looked at his hand and could not identify whose hand it was. The author woke up one morning and wrote down all the things he had to do. Then he looked at his finger. 
the same finger he had had all his life at the end of his hand. All his life, he had pointed at things with his finger, asking what they were. But he had never asked about his finger. A finger like any other, it should not have given him any pause. To think even this day, but there it was, a finger at the end of his hand, extended and breaking at the edge into the end of him. He examined it closely and saw a singular finger. He tried pointing at this and that, but all he could see was his finger. Everything was his finger. Everything he touched now was a finger. A long time passed for everyone. He went through the list, moving his finger down the page. So much to do, so much to do. Boris wasn't sure where he was going. For a moment, he thought that he was in the middle of a sentence. The next minute, he found himself walking down an empty street. Just then, he was not trampled, barely, by a harnessed mare pulling along a crumbling carriage. Suddenly, Boris became very old, and wise too. But then, as it happens some of the time with old and wise men, Boris fell over dead. At this point, the story comes to a point, and that point is too narrow for the story to pass through. Now 
I'd take this opportunity to talk just a little bit about myself and some endeavors. Uh, my name is Oliver Stelfox. Uh, if you wanted to, you can go to Instagram and type in those letters that spell Oliver Stelfox, which are O-L-I-V-E-R-S-T-E-L-L-F-O-X, and you can find out about creative pursuits that I am doing, one of which is uh, a thing that was prompted up on the screen when we all were sitting down. It's called Sit Down, Be Quiet, and Just Be. It's just also a great, great little thing to just tell ourselves, you know. But it also is an a, a ongoing event that I have that's called Sit Down, Be Quiet, and Just Be, which is an event that it is me going out into the world of Seattle music and finding musicians that emotionally affect me so that I can have them at my black box theater that is my own space that I inhabit. I've converted my home into a black box theater, which is fantastic. I recommend it. Um, and um, I have it so that these musicians come in and perform sets that have this overarching theme. Um, some have been, like some themes have been self-reflection, um, past presence, and things such as that. And so what they do is they create videos for each song that is projected behind them. And I am very blessed and very thankful for the friends that I have because I have friends that also do video work and they capture the performances with video 
and it, like the last one, it was like five or seven cameras, and we're not talking just like little point-and-shoot cameras. We're talking about like, if anyone knows anything about cameras, Reds and Canons and all those things, Black Magic cameras. Um, and it's all multi-tracked. And if you go onto YouTube and type in "sit down, be quiet, and just be," you will find 80 plus videos from that event. And it's, it's something that I'm very proud of. And I feel like when we're proud of things, we should be able to put it out there into the ether. Um, and I should have been tuning when I was talking, <laughs> but I can't multi multitask that well. So here we go. Um, I also have pins here. Um, it doesn't give it justice, but I have one here that's in the dark. It's called, it's this little black box right here that says sit down, be quiet, and just be. I have them here. Um, if you wanted to come up to me after the fact, after this event, and be like, hey, Oliver, I really like what you're doing with that music, and I really believe in that sit down, be quiet, and just be thing. I know that Macy and Scott bought one because they believe in it. And... Um, you can come up to me and throw $8 at my face via cash, Venmo, Square, I don't know, whatever. Um, one of those three was probably work fine. Um, that would be great, and I would really appreciate your support because to get a little bit of monetary things from things that you're passionate about, it's very reassuring and reaffirming. So we're almost tuned and happy. This guitar is from 1958, so it has a little bit of issue when it wants to, well, it doesn't want to be in tune, so. Scared confronting the insecurity Plagues from the start With the slow self-discovery My mind was quick to come up with Thoughts that are too far-fetched Now left with regret Regret that my youthful ways tore us apart In the streams of your heart frame side I still have to say my peace to create peace The peace that was necessary Though I 
Afraid of what that future holds Waiting on the ring Words to be told Seen thrown in an endless loop But I'm bound to a theory Waiting for from the 
Hi, my name is Cassidy. Um, so I'm an Enneagram type two or six. Um, and I'm always pretty confused about my defense mechanisms as um, it's really interesting the way that like defense mechanisms and like mental health can affect each other because like when you're in different states, here. <laughs> when you're in different states, you can kind of react in different ways. And I think that that can be really interesting as someone who has BPD specifically. Um, my defense mechanisms in different mood episodes can be really different. And, you know, there's times in my life where I'm really like repressing things and other times where I'm denying things. I experience a lot of anger. That's kind of a defense mechanism that really is a reoccurring theme throughout my life um, to kind of push things away really aggressively and kind of lash out to others, which is not a healthy one, but is just kind of something I'm working with and learning how to manage. So thank you. Hi, no small thing. My name is Isaac. I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. And I consider myself an Enneagram type 9, although, as always, there's time for that to change, which I've been told is a very Enneagram type 9 thing to say. I have to say that the, the denial... Well, honestly, both of the segments of the show really resonated with me, both denial and repression, especially... I'm just putting this out here in front of everybody, but especially in regards to gender issues. And as a kind of a nine-wing one intellectualizer. Um, it felt very weird to have it acknowledged that I can be aware that I'm denying things and still deny them. And I think that's, when I apply that to my life, I find that in a lot of places. Like, I know that I'm denying this, but that doesn't mean I can actually stop. That was just the thought that came up, and that's something I'm going to try to notice in my own life as we move forward from this conversation. And it was totally epic. I love the podcast. Ella Sharp. I am an Enneagram 4 Wing 3. Um, good friends of Macy and Scott. And I definitely do both to repression and denial. Um, I have PTSD and depression. And a lot of times I will react in ways that piss myself off and piss others around me off um, as a result of trauma that I have not resolved necessarily. Like, I, I'm really jumpy and I, I, I respond to men and anger in a way that really confuses and stresses other people out. Um, and the more I try to work through that, um, the more I notice myself being able to be kinder. So it's always about drawing out, like doing a lot of self-reflection and trying to figure out exactly why you're having these feelings and being able to turn them into art and, and explain a little bit more about yourself and a little bit about how you relate to the world in a healthy way. Um, I don't know if any of that made sense. I'm kind of low on sleep, but I love you both very, very much. And thanks for having us here. Um, you're doing great, and I'm so, so, so proud of you guys. Love you both. Okay, we're on the home stretch. I mean, we're already at our time, but we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about denial for a second. I, I guess one thing when I'm listening to people, and they, they at least 
to me, it gives me um, a sense of peace to know that the people talking and presenting know what time it is. Sometimes I feel like they have no idea. They're oh, just yeah. going to keep droning on. But we do know, everybody. It's 9 o'clock. This is we're getting to the end. <laughs> it's getting to the end. I'm going to talk about it now. I'm not going to talk very much. I think I'll just give a little recap, and I'll tell a story that I think people will find interesting. And then we're going to invite our friend Daniel up to end uh, our time in a sing-along, everybody. I think it'll be kind of fun for the group. Yeah, ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I'll say about denial is we've been talking about this idea that denial and repression are really in pop culture. Pop culture meaning it like shows up in songs and TV and stuff like that. But I got to make sure I talk to Macy, not just the group. Um, it does. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> and, and one of the things that uh, people, I think, often associate denial with, which is what I think I associate it with, is trauma. Mm -hmm. So, like, if something really terrible happened to you, it's similar to repression, it seems like. Yeah. You deny that it happened. But it also seems to come up a lot in something like AA, where it's like you're in denial, or somebody um, maybe wants to break up with you or something, and you don't see it, you're in denial. Hmm. So these types of things, are, it seems, are the things where it comes up the most. But... The clarification I want to make about denial, as you all walk around the world and hear about denial, is that it's everywhere. It's, it's, not, it's not just reserved for like a breakup or a traumatic experience, although obviously it happens there. Mm -hmm. um, it happens all day long when we encounter something that we find to be either societally or personally intolerable. So if it's an emotion we don't want, we deny it. Mm -hmm. But if it's a uh, behavior that we don't think is appropriate, we deny it. Uh, I almost feel like it's like picturing like a ping pong. Like, are we boop, aware just... we're denying it? Is it like a... No, no, we're not aware of defense mechanisms. Well, some, I mean, okay, so like repression, it's like this complete thing where you're like, it's out of your awareness and it's mm -hmm. out of your awareness and it's out of your mm -hmm. awareness. Is that the same thing that's happening with denial? My my hunch is that denial probably can is easier to pinpoint or see or notice. I feel that way. Yeah. Maybe not by for yourself, but others can see it happening. Yeah. Um, one, one of the things that I heard that everybody will probably resonate with is denying it also feels defensive. It's obviously like, it almost feels like a shield. You know, mm -hmm. like, no, you know, like putting it up. That's why I said like ping pong or tennis or something. You're just like batting it away. Um, but everybody pay attention to this when you're walking around in the world is something like um, being, being defensive when it's right, is not necessarily wrong and doesn't really indicate something. So, for example, if tonight you were like, you're wearing green pants, and I'm like, no, I'm not. And you're like, oh, you're being defensive. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not wearing green pants. I'm not being defensive. I'm just trying to tell you. Um, but people said, watch out for denial. Denial is clearly or maybe potentially happening if somebody is defending or denying something that nobody's accused them of. So if I walked in tonight and, and had a beer in my hand and walked around telling people, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. People are like, nobody's accusing you of being an alcoholic. Why do you keep saying that? You know? You're like, you're in denial of something. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, but um, when I was reading the book, it was, it seemed, I'm, I'm sorry, I just keep saying this. It's like, it seemed to go through the different, like, Enneagram oh, sins, the way, it's like, yeah. Isn't uh, this, is this the eights? No, 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 no. I mean, I think it would be most one-like, like, like oh, denying certain unsavory emotions and feelings, you know. Um, but it's, it talked about denying anger. We don't, we don't want to do with our anger, so we deny it. We, it talked about denying shame. It talked about, like, like for a five, if the main sin is uh, essentially selfishness, 
uh, I don't want to acknowledge that I am selfish. So it's like we just deny these deny things. Deny it away. Yeah. I'm immediately thinking of the example of anyone watch, watches Parks and Rec when Ann Perkins gets broken up with by Chris Traeger and she doesn't even realize that it happened. Oh, yeah, that's great. That seems like denial. denial. Yeah, yeah. And she just like doesn't even know that it's happened and denies You're like, getting she, your book out, which makes me want to get my book well, out. Well, I am going to be book out because I do think that <laughs> do you it have is, a quote? I have a quote. I do think it is the Enneagram <laughs> 8 primary defense mechanism. Okay. I'm, is that an Enneagram book? Um, it is an Enneagram <laughs> book. Um, what is happening? <laughs> oh yeah, no. Uh, nope, it's not. I don't think. Never mind. I'm gone. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I, I because for time's sake, I don't want to go Sorry. too deep into. Uh, <laughs> I mean, part of what we like to do in the podcast is just read each other, um, <laughs> like quotes from books that we like. It's got a nice idea of a good time. <laughs> Sitting around reading quotes from books. Um, here's here's one meta version, and then I'll tell my story and be done. But it says, um, he says here, like other defenses, denial has its normal and useful functions. For instance, many of us deny that we are, in fact, actually going to die. If I'm mm. honest with myself, I know that I don't really believe it, at least not all the time. If I did, I might have a hard time going on with my life and pursuing my goals. What's the point of going to the gym today if my body will eventually fall apart and die? Sometimes the ter- temporary use of denial helps us cope with unbearable loss. So it's kind of highlighting the, the good elements of a defense mechanism. We might deny that we feel profound grief because to confront the full force of our pain all at once might overwhelm us. We may need to let the awareness of our loss little by little over time open up. So, oh yeah, what are you going to say? Well, no, I'm just, I'm personally having a hard time figuring out the difference between denial and repression. It, it feels similar. so similar. I know. The book, I don't think, answers. Yeah, I think that they <laughs> might just be in tandem. And repression seems a little bit repression like... Repression feels like pushing down and... Denial feels like batting away, like, pew, Yeah, you know, that's deny a, it. Denial just seems a little more aggressive, and repression feels a little bit more, sub, like, subvert, like, mm-hmm. sneakier, mm-hmm. maybe. Maybe further down in the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> down <laughs> deep in the iceberg. I will say, I'm trying to think about what I deny. I don't think denying denial is one of my main mm-hmm. ones, and I'm sure we all do it. I don't feel like it's most prevalent in me, but I was trying to think, how do I deny? And it almost feels opposite to this. And this this will say maybe kind of sad but and weird, but I feel like you relate, is denying any any idea that I have like inherent goodness yeah. or that I'm worthy of anything. You know, like I wanna I wanna be so honest, like I wanna I wanna say yes, we're all gonna die, life is dark, this is all a joke. You know, I, I That's ran, you have no problem. I have no problem that. with that. But like I have a, a harder time thinking like that I'm worthy of anything yeah. or like uh, but also just like the darkness of um, this is so silly. But I mean, I was going on a run today, and I saw like um, a whole driveway had been ripped out, hmm. and it's all the earth underneath it. And I'm like, yeah, this whole neighborhood is a defense mechanism. We don't want to think about the <laughs> fact that we're just all in this precarious earth that that's like just worms and dirt and water that can just be br- blown away anytime. But look, we built houses to control it. And <laughs> I can run around and think that there's there's something sane about all of this. It's like, no, not really at the end of the day. But It does feel like there <laughs> might be a bit more of a sense of control with denial versus repression, maybe. Maybe. Because it's like an active thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. We don't have the answers. We're not trained professionals. Here's my story. <laughs> what is everybody doing here? Why'd you come to hear us? <laughs> Sharing about some things we read in some books. Um, okay, so this is a story about um, my, my wife and me. My wife is in the back. I can hear her laughing. Marissa. Yeah, yeah. Enneagram 9. She's really wonderful. Yep, one of my favorite living humans. And um, 
So, so here's a story. My, Marissa and I went to counseling for, I, I always say two years and she says a year. I think it was two years. Um, who's in denial? Who's in denial? We don't know <laughs> what's happening there. Um, we had this, uh, you could call it a tick. There's probably a, a, a better, stronger word for it in our relationship where um, <clears throat> I, this will not surprise anybody that knows me, wanted to talk about everything. You know, and then, so, so first of all, I want to talk about everything, and then I'm, I'm sort of um, given, through my Christian upbringing, some, some really convenient language to, uh, to explain why I want to talk about everything. Hmm. So one is, you need to work on your relationship, right? But I think the most interesting and potentially toxic rationale that I was given was, don't let the sun set on your anger. Oh, gosh. So now I'm given sort of this license to say... Morally, you need to stay up as late as it takes to talk to me. <laughs> so if you think about denial, uh, denying something that's like an inconvenient truth, so to speak, um, we'd go to counseling, and I had this very convenient sort of get-out-of-jail-free card that said, I am making Marissa talk about everything when I want because I'm working on our relationship and Marissa isn't. Um, I'm concerned that, that uh, Marissa isn't willing to go to the hard places and work on a relationship. I am. And we were actually, I was actually conveniently able to present this to our therapist for probably six months. You know, I'd be like, oh, yeah, Marissa wouldn't have this conversation again. And our counselor's like, Marissa, come on. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, she should have stayed up and had that conversation. Now, behind the scenes, we need to paint the picture of saying the conversation was a three- to four-hour conversation at dinner, Okay. So now it's 10 o'clock. We've come home. We've paid the babysitter. And now the conversation has to keep going. Oh, it's 10 I... o'clock. It's 11 o'clock. It's 12 o'clock. And Marissa's like, now I want to go to bed. I'm like, you're not willing to work on our marriage. You're not going to let the sun go down on our anger. So here's the deal. Okay, so here's how it happened. And this is what I want to say to everybody thinking out there today. Like, how do we confront these defense mechanisms? I think we have to put ourselves in a place where we're going to feel disrupted. And that's why we play a weird song at the beginning of this. That's why I think interesting Boris poems and places that get us out of our comfort zone. And um, Eugene Peterson, a Christian writer, would say, like, telling it slant. Uh, if you watch our Instagram stories, oftentimes we'll repost these things called Situation Jesus that's created by a friend of mine named Barry Taylor. And it's reimagining Jesus being in our culture now, saying things that catch us off guard, saying something that um, catches us unawares or challenges our preconceived notions. So something has to come in unawares almost. Like it, mm -hmm. has to, it has to disrupt our everyday way of thinking. So we're having this conversation. I'm, tell, I'm, I'm saying kind of the classic story. I was really upset that Marissa didn't stay up and have this conversation. And our therapist goes, Scott, how old do you feel when Marissa does that? Hmm. It was the strangest question. Hmm. And, I, and I, I, was, I mean, I do believe that I was earnest in these therapeutic settings. Like, I really did want to grow and work on our marriage. So I'm like, okay, how... So, so here's how it works. I'm searching the database in my head for times where I have been virtuous and worked on relationships. <laughs> and I'm trying to access that emotion. I'm like, it really hasn't happened all that much, actually. I can't figure out a time where I felt how I feel when I'm making Marissa have these conversations. Mm -hmm. And then this feeling came to me that felt so, so true and so real and so painful. Hmm. And the feeling I felt, I'm, an old, I'm, I'm the oldest brother of three boys, was how I felt when my brothers wouldn't do what I told them when I was babysitting them. Interesting. I knew it, I knew it to be so true. So what was revealed to me is 
I'm not trying to work on my relationship. I'm trying to control my wife. Hmm. And denial is I can't admit that. I can't admit that I don't like that Marissa has free will to go to bed whenever she wants. Yeah, yeah. And I want her to stay up and talk to me. And I'm trying to control her. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to control her. I'm just trying to work on our marriage. And there's just so much <laughs> denial happening of that that's happened, mm-hmm. that you're trying to control. Mm-hmm. Oh, fascinating. It was, it was the most emotional session I think we had. And I, was, I felt so terrible. And only Marissa will be able to tell if I've grown in that area. I, <laughs> I was going to say, so now, now are you still so making Marissa stay up? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, if anything, I'm like running away from that. I mean, I, I do. Oh, well, maybe. Ask her. <laughs> maybe I've gotten better or improved or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, think that's I will always prefer a long conversation, you know, so that's, that's there's there's that. But um, no, I definitely was able to, at least in that setting, confront that one element of denial, I think. But I do think maybe maybe think about if there is sort of a headline over a strange behavior mm-hmm. that you're doing that's causing pain or disruption in your relationships, that might be a, a, a cause to explore that as a sense of a, as a denial of sorts. Yeah, kind of giving yourself the space to wonder if there is something that you're denying yourself or others, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's also interesting in that, like, this denying maybe functions in that, like, you are denying, like, an ex- give, denying yourself an experience when you're mm-hmm. doing that, potentially. Yeah. Or an experience denying your own internal way to be. I don't know. Well, all these things... That, that obviously ultimately was not doing what I wanted. I think that's the thing about all these defense yeah, mechanisms. Yeah. I want to have a great relationship with my wife, so I think the, my, my crazy brain is telling me that the solution is to talk until one in the morning. But actually, no, it isn't. It's to, like, to let Marissa go to bed. Yeah. You know, yeah. And we all need to get some sleep. And, and let's get rid of this weird, don't let the sun go down on your anger nonsense. One person said, our, our friend said this to us one time, it's like, um, we, they realized the sun's already gone down. So whatever we were afraid of has already happened. They, they, you know, it's 10 p.m. Yeah, it's yeah, already yeah. dark. <laughs> we can just go to sleep. Um, that was a lot yeah. of freedom. Uh, Gosh, that's I don't know. I feel like this is one of those things now that you've brought it up. I'm just going to have to then play out my life and see what am I denying. For the rest of our lives. Yeah. You yeah. know, somebody it, it, at the end of this book, I was reading, like, uh, how do you stay vigilant? Like, he, this is a guy that's been doing psychoanalysis as a practice practitioner for over 40 years yeah and he says it's like just knowing about defense mechanisms is nothing it's like it's like practicing anything that you want to be good at and you can practice and practice and then get out of practice like you can you have to just be vigilant I wonder where the difference between denying and lying is because an example that just popped into my brain was when I was like a sophomore in college I went home for spring break and I put sun in my hair and if people, sun in? Sun in. Yeah. And if people don't know what sun in is, it's like... The beginning like, of an obsession. <laughs> probably true. <laughs> I put it in my hair, and it turned my hair, like, very orange. And I did not... I was very embarrassed by it, but oh, I kind of yeah. denied that it was orange, both to myself and to other people. And I had a friend who was like, Macy, what it's did you do with long. your hair? And I was like, nothing. I did nothing with my hair. It's totally oh, natural. And I was kind of lying. <laughs> I mean, I was fully lying. But I also... <laughs> I also was denying it, and I think I was... To yourself, too? To yeah. myself. I was yeah, yeah, like, yeah. oh, I'm just going to deny this all the way, mm-hmm. pretend it's not there. And then eventually my friend was like, it is so obvious, Macy. 
<laughs> my friends probably can really testify to that. <laughs> what year was this? How old were you? I think I was a freshman or sophomore oh, this in college. college. Oh, I, I was, I I was picturing like sixth grade. No, That no, changes everything. Older, wow. even older. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Wow. But that was a, an intense form of denial probably and yeah. just lying. Yeah. So I don't know. Gosh. Okay. I think that's it. Any other thoughts I, on I, denial? No, no. I just want to say to you and the group or whoever's listening, because I guess this will be put, put out in the world. But um, you know, I think I think something that happened for me personally with stuff like this, defense mechanisms, and studying our brains, is um, I I I am a spiritual person, you know, and I I believe that that is an important element, but sometimes. I almost use spirituality as a crutch, I think. Hmm. I think sometimes we can use spirituality as a crutch. Or um, it was so strange. Like, people were so weirded out. Not people, but some people were so weirded out when Harry Potter started emerging in the world. And I was such a huge Harry Potter fan. But the idea of, like, wizards and witches and cauldrons and spells was so strange and scary to Christians. But to a certain extent, I feel like that's oftentimes how we use prayer and religion. Hmm. It's like just this uh, spell. So I remember, I remember there were times in my life where um, I would be feeling ang- anxious or overwhelmed, and I think just saying this prayer will help, and it, and it didn't. And maybe sometimes people do experience that, and I would celebrate that and say, that's great, and I think God's capable of having a supernatural you know, encounter with our anxiety or something like that. But I do think these types of things help us. Yeah, and it's tools in the tool belt. Yeah, tools To help tool us belt. get through life. I mean, there's no denying that a, life is hard, and B, we're all doing these crazy things. Like, it's mm-hmm. not just you yourself doing them. And so mm-hmm. it's these tools help us to better understand ourselves, which then can help us to better understand our relationship with whatever supernatural being you have. So uh, promo to defense mechanisms. Promotion, yeah. everybody, defense mechanisms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's it. I, well, I'll, I'll say um, uh, we're going to have our friend Daniel come up and lead us in a sing-along. So before that, though, uh, we're going to have Jesse and Adrian come up, I think. We are. We are going to have the folks who made this event happen. Yeah. Jesse reached out to me and said, Macy, will you do No Small Thing Live here? Which we were like, uh, duh. And <laughs> they have helped make this entire space be what it is and let us dream and make it cozy and bring our here art. Here they are. So here they are. Man. But you guys, hold up. Can we please applaud this wonderful, wonderful experience? Oh, my goodness. And thank you all for coming out on a Thursday evening, paying that $5. We really appreciate all of you for coming out. Um, My name's Adrian. This is Jesse. We both are cafe managers in the cafe that you walked in to get here, Kakeo. Um, And then I also work, there's a church that actually owns the venue space that we're sitting in and the cafe in the front. And so I help and do some admin for them. Um, But anyway, we just wanted to do a little bit of like a little intro to this, what this event is, how it was made possible. So, Jesse. Yeah, so um, one of my jobs in the cafe um, is community engagement. So uh, this event came about because um, the mission of the cafe is for the neighborhood to create um, a space for the neighborhood to gather together, for people to connect, um, for people to be curious, uh, just so many awesome things. And so that's what this is for. It's not to make money. It's not, you know, to 
get more business. It's literally so people are here um, connecting with one another. Um, so, so glad you're here. That's awesome. Uh, but we did also want to tell you about other things that are going to be happening. Um, it, does, did anybody, um, does anybody use something called Instagram? Maybe, do you raise your hand? Do you use, oh, oh, Scott, you have Instagram. Cool. Well, or does, has anybody heard of Facebook? Oh, there was a movie about it. I don't know. Anyways, uh, the, that's one of our, those are our main platforms for letting you know about the events that are happening in the cafe um, and in the space. So follow along at Kakeo Seattle. Um, we're also on our website. We're working on it. As of tomorrow, our community calendar will be updated with all of the upcoming events. So Kakeo Seattle um, on our website as well, you can see upcoming events. But you know, so far we got yoga on the 21st, donation-based, not sure what time yet, but it'll be great. Um, we'll have another Bob Ross night at some point in February. Um, what else is, oh, Market Mondays, second Monday of the month, starting in February, we'll have a few vendors in the, um, space back there selling different things. Um, but yeah, stay connected. We'd love for you to come back to the space. Come join us. Um, where There's opportunities to help volunteer or serve the community in the area. So um, another thing is uh, if this, I feel like this was a magic space right now. Like there's something, you guys, about the cafe, the church, the event space. Like things happen here that are magical. So um, if you feel inspired in some way and feel like, this could be a space for you to like have some magic happen, let me know. Like, I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to make something like this happen again. So that's the coolest thing about my job. So yeah, I'll be around. Connect with me if there's something you want to do. And then the last plug is one uh, recurring series that we're going to have coming up starting next Wednesday. And it's called Unpacking Indigenous Issues. We're calling it Kitchen Table Conversations. Um, it's going to be led by a PhD um, she's getting her PhD uh, at UW, and she does indigenous literary studies. Former um, barista. Yeah, she worked in the cafe. Um, and so that's going to happen Wednesday evenings, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. Um, we're going to invite lots of interesting speakers, um, engage with some really cool media, and learn more about indigenous and settler relations in Seattle and beyond. So these cards are by the back table where the zines are. Um, and with that, we'll give it back to you all. Thank you. <laughs> all right, uh, let me just say, uh, we're going to do a sing-along. Forrest, do the lyrics come up? We just, let's just check. It's, the laptop no. died. You know what, though? Um, I have a charger, and I can bring it up, but uh, I, think, I think the sing-along will work even without the lyrics, maybe, do you think? Sure, okay, so let's just paint the picture a tiny bit. We had this idea to Keep talking. I'm gonna end get my charger. the night with a little bit of, uh, well, two parts. One, I think it's fun when something ends, when we're all together. Tonight, so much of this event was about us all getting together. And for people who listen to No Small Thing or people who know Scott and I, it's this chance for us to like actually see each other and be a community and hang out in the same room. And something that we both love is this idea of us all being together. And so singing a cheesy, catchy song is one way for us all to really exemplify that attitude. But that sounds really great. But then immediately when you hear that, you think, oh my gosh, that sounds so cheesy and corny, which is true. But what we are encouraging you all to do, and including ourselves, is to kind of 
step out of, at least maybe this is for me, step out of that kind of cynical, oh, poo-poo, this weird sing-along thing, and step into this idea of, well, maybe I can lean all the way into this and enjoy this for all the cheese that it has. And so we invited our friend Daniel, who we had to convince that of this vision of coming and doing a sing-along. So we wanted to end the night with this sing-along where we all get to sing a song together and be together, and hopefully it stamps a nice end to the night. So as Scott gets his laptop, the last few things that I'll say is that, yes, there are zines in the back. Take a zine. We've got lots. They're awesome. People who are here actually right now helped contribute to those zines. Um, they're super cool. Um, also, on your way out, if you haven't caught it, we've got a little mic over there that's turned on, and we're inviting you all to talk into the mic for a minute or two and share your relationship to defense mechanisms, and it may or may not make it onto the podcast, so that could be pretty cool, because this is eventually going to go out there. Okay, the thing is... Well, let me just say, I'm up here right now, Jeez. but uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, shout out to Reuven, everybody. Woo! Shout out to Oliver. Shout out to Forrest up here doing all the sound and lighting. And um, thank you. We, we are Shout so... Shout out to Ariana, who's Ariana, taking, taking video. the videos. Thank you so much. <laughs> and seriously, everybody, we are so appreciative that you came out tonight. This is so fun and cool, and we are grateful for this opportunity to have this experience with you. So, all right. Take it away, Daniel. And good night, everybody. That's it. We're not, gonna, we're not coming back after this. Everybody's going home. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel. I was on the podcast for the Enneagram 9 episode, so that's my involvement here. Um, and I will probably be just as cringed by how exuberantly I will try to put myself into this song as you all will be, so let's all just go there together. Everything is great. Everything is grand. I've got the whole wide world in the palm of our hand. Everything is perfect. It's denial. The place. I can't seem to wipe this smile off my face. Life's a happy song when there's someone by your side to sing along. Everything is perfect. We'll live happily ever after. Keep giving the world the third greatest gift, laughter. The show's almost over, it's time to stay so long. First you gotta feel your feelings while I sing this song. Life's a happy song, there's someone by your side to sing along. We've got everything we need. We can be whatever we want. are blue when it's me and you and you and you and you and you and all of you. We've got everything we need. We can be whatever we want to be. There's nothing we can't do. The skies are blue when it's me and you and you and you. Life's a happy song when there's someone by your side to sing. Life's a happy song when there's someone by your side to sing. Life's a happy song when there's someone by your side to sing along. Good night, everyone. Am I 
lost myself in discontent Hoping you can only repent these things It smells like ginger What you mean I ain't green like Timothy? Dead leaves in the breeze sweep your chimneys See the boy tried me, not the boy deceased They put the blame on me, but hey, it wasn't me Like, God can judge me, but only God can see Everybody take your picture in front of the picture over here. Everybody grab some snacks. There's snacks left. Everybody go record a reflection in the microphone in the back corner over there. We did it. We accomplished a live show.